Hello, um, I'm about to say hello again really quickly, but just to let you know, this was a mammoth record with myself, Campbell, and Callum, who does the media at Glasgow City. So we split this up into a few parts, but hopefully you enjoy it. And um, Part one is coming right about now. Hello and welcome to the Leading Line podcast. Uh, I'm Chris Marshall. Hello, how are you doing? Hope you're all staying safe and keeping well. And uh, take a wee break, for, wee break from the interviews and we're going to do the A to Z of Scottish women's football um, with a very wide-reaching radius of topics covered and some tenuous links I'm sure about to come as well. Um, joining me to do this, I've got my good buddy Campbell Finlayson. How are you doing, Campbell? Yeah, not bad at all, Chris. Thank you. How have you been finding the last kind of month or so since we, obviously we've been talking off mic, but how's, how's the last month been for you? Um, I was fine finishing off university work and then doing my runs and things myself as well and then managed to tweak something in my knee a fortnight ago, so I'm currently out injured if you want to call it that. Um, so I've kind of spent the last two weeks stuck in the house looking at the great weather, so plenty of drink has been consumed for myself, <laughs> so... Just your usual midweeks, I suppose, really, for us, Chris. Yeah, I've got a, a glass of Albarino sitting beside, well, and the rest of the bottle, because we're unsure how long this is going to go for, so I thought I'd better bring the bottle with me. <laughs> but yeah, good to hear from you, buddy. And we've got a, a new new uh, guest to lean the line. It's Cam Parson, best, best known for being the kind of media savant of Glasgow City. Cam, uh, thanks very much for coming on, first of all, and how are you doing? Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, good thanks. Um, still kind of surviving this lockdown, but um, for the greater good, I suppose. Yeah, um, I, when I kind of floated this idea uh, last week, I, I had it in my head that we needed more than me and Campbell to talk through it. So very kind of you to come on. Uh, good to have some extra expert knowledge. I know Campbell likes to, like to play up our expert credentials, but Campbell's uh, been in the game for a long time now, so I'm really interested to see what he's going to come up with. So, the the premise is pretty simple. It's A to Z of Scottish football. We're going to start at A, we're going to get to Z. I was going to start singing S Club 7 lyrics <laughs> and then stop myself. Um, but then, by yeah, by the end of that, the, no, that's not S Club 7, it's Spice Girls. Right, rambling already. Excellent start. Uh, we'll go A to Z um, and then we'll get to the end and we'll see how it's done. Don't know how long it's going to be. Probably end up splitting this into two parts, but let's get started. Letter A, um, and let's start with the new voice, Cal. Uh, who, what have you got for A? Oh well, throw it right in the deep end. Um, struggling from the start, which is not a great thing. <laughs> um, so I went for something probably quite simple, where I think Aberdeen have got a great chance of back-to-back promotions, and I fancy them if they do get some football going. Uh, that they could well be the the team to bounce straight back up in the top flight within. Uh, what, two or three year window? Yeah, and um, they've got a, a pretty decent track record in the game in Scotland as well. They obviously had a bit of a dip recently, but they're very much on the charge back up again. Yeah, and uh, I mean, not to be too snobbish about it, I don't see an awful NSW appeal to um, and below uh, out with maybe international windows or, or cup games and, and such like. But um, I mean, Kamark, we've seen a bit of that as well because they were obviously one of the, the, the big guns back in the, the 2000s. and they they came back to SWPL too, but Aberdeen it's it's been like a switch where as soon as they went down to the third tier, um they they they've kind of switched on it right okay Aberdeen should not be a third tier team shouldn't be a second tier team either but there's other clubs now that probably shouldn't be in the second tier either if you're just going by name but you know the the football doesn't happen with just being a name so um you know they've got a good squad from what I've seen and um you know I think I mean it's gonna be a, if we do get when whenever we get a footballing season going, um, it's going to be a good league, league that year. Um, it usually tends to be um, at both ends, um, but you know they, they they've switched on as say and they look like a side that you know should go strong even though they're back in that division again. Cool. So Cam's going A for Aberdeen. Campbell, uh, what have you gone for? He is actually one I struggled with as well. I can come back to that quite near the end, but in the end, they've plumped for attendances. Um, obviously, they've increased a wee bit, as we've seen myself going to a lot of games um, since the World Cup, but just to kind of open up the topic to you two about how we can actually then make them better. I know you're quite a fan of this, Chris, in terms of trying to get more folk to games. So just kind of how can we increase these attendances even further? Do you think that 
Um, and, and do you know what, Callum? I'm, I'm interested to get your take on this as well because obviously, as I mentioned, Glasgow City's social media game is quite strong. Do you think the attendances have taken a, the bounce that you were expecting after the World Cup? Um, in all seriousness, probably not. Um, I think the, the, obviously the top kind of you know Glasgow City, Hibs, um, you know the the games have kind of been steady, few hundred. Um, you've kind of had you know Rangers and Celtic obviously don't get anywhere near the same attendance as men's game, um, but they do still have a following, so they do bring a crowd to you know Peters Hill or Inza Park or whatever, as well as when you go to their home games to do fill the stand. Um, I mean, a little bit maybe is the answer, but you do see a lot of people with general interest, you know, going to maybe kind of cup quarterfinals, cup semifinals, especially at neutral venues, which is good. Um, but I, it's a tough one. I know I've seen before, and I know you've been involved, and there's plenty of people involved with arguments. Well, should we be streaming these games? Should there be games in the telly? Because you're maybe detracting from the crowd. But I think that we need kind of further exposure, and uh, you know, Arba do a good job, and. You know, BBC Scotland streaming games. It'd be good, quite good to see them access on, you know, you know, more games, or certainly a, a certain amount of games on the TV, um, on on the main TV as well as online. Um, not tons, because I don't think we need tons, but certainly a bit more. Um, I think probably the the thing is, is maybe slightly disappointing is, you know, out with what you know you guys do, and there's other publications out there that. You know, there is some stuff after games and some reports and and whatnot. And I, you know, I've been doing this for years. By you know, sending content to the media. Um, I know Glasgow City have done that for years before I was involved. You know, they'd send match reports. And if you've seen the Glasgow City documentary recently, that's what Warren Montgomery used to do all the time. Um, I think there's still an element of that. There's still not enough from you know some media outlets that you know should be kind of putting more commentaries or segments in the news like they would for you know the top fight in the men's game or or what have you um but that's maybe me straying it all a bit to the side of the topic about purely attendances which i think it, it it has maybe a fractionally went up a little bit went up but um I, I don't know what i was expecting in terms of how much of a boom we're going to get to be honest but um yeah I think that um, your point about people with a general interest going to like quarterfinals, semi-finals, finals. I think you saw that bear out obviously at the, the end of last season with the Scottish Cup final and that that attendance that was had. But yeah, I agree. We need more exposure. Um, I think there's also I've been kind of having a wee look at social media channels over the kind of this period um, just to kind of see who's doing what. And I'm seeing some teams are doing stuff, some teams aren't. Some are obviously having to kind of work within the boundaries of having volunteers, of course, which makes things very difficult. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's BB bounce as much as you'd expect. But again, I don't really know what the expectation is, if, I, if I'm being totally honest. Campbell, what's, what's your take on it? No, I mean, you, you both make obviously very good points here. I mean, we've noticed it ourselves whether you are getting a few more heads at these games. But again, you never really know. What you'd expect, and obviously Scotland, the men's game is kind of is obviously going to be bigger. But there's a lot of folk don't seem to show any interest in women's football, and even actually from the announcement today, uh, with the Euros being moved to 2022, um, just replies to that again are just folk instantly throwing down the women's game, and so it's it's never easy when people don't seem to have that interest as much as like the three of us and plenty of other folk, as Callum says there. Are trying to help with these things, it, it isn't great at all. So I think attendances they are increasing, increasing. Sorry, but it's not hugely as Callum says. And obviously now we don't have any football. Whether that will maybe help people who want to get back to more games. Maybe you'll see more folk at these games on a Sunday. But it's it's one that again, as you say, we don't know what level we're expecting. So you can't really claim. They can't really say sorry. What's good or what's bad? So it kind of at the minute it's as they are better, but it's. It's still kind of underwhelming, I think, when you turn up to a game on a Sunday. Yeah. But, well, we'll move on from that. Now, this has gone exactly as I thought it might do, where we've kind of gone for different strands in this, which is good, because it means we're going to have lots of interesting things to talk about. I, I have gone for A. I've gone for Anna Signal, who is very much considered the kind of um, catalyst for Scottish women's national team, developing the way it has. And she also led uh, Scotland to their first major European championships in 2017 in the Netherlands. And you can see that whenever she's kind of at game, she was at she was over for the under nineteen championships last summer, um, and I know she's she can and obviously 
Finland, she's now in charge of, uh, she will be taking on Scotland in the qualifiers whenever they come back for Euro 2022, as you said, Campbell. But um, I think for me, she's maybe one of the figures, uh, Campbell, that has really had an impact in the Scottish game over the last decade, decade and a half. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, you're saying um, Euro 2017 was the first major tournament and being in England's group again kind of generated extra interest for that. And when the game's been on, uh, been on the TV as well, it kind of, most folk have noticed it. And obviously, as you're saying, it really then stepped up. Once she left, obviously, Shelley Cairn, now most folk will be seeing as the main sort of Scotland um, national side manager, obviously, and kind of catalyst for them. But as you're saying, beforehand, Anna's been there. And it was all the difference that she's made, and obviously is Finland now I think is still um, still at a good level, going to be against Scotland at some point, but they're certain, she's certainly made a big difference to it. And obviously as you're saying the national side is now at best it's ever been, I think it's highest ranking ever as well. So she's definitely been um, with a very good influence on Scotland and it's good to see that they're still reaping the rewards from what she left behind. Yeah, um, I'm conscious that if all three of us talk a little bit about all of these, we could be here till like midnight. And I'm pretty sure we don't want that. As much fun as it'll be, uh, I'm pretty sure we won't do that. So I'll tell you what, let's jump on to B. Uh, and Campbell, give us your B. B's another one actually I struggled with. I kind of had to come back to the first few. But for B, I ended up just going with Bovril, just for the fact that we always <laughs> need it when we go to games, but it's absolutely freezing. So um, <laughs> you wanted something a bit fun, so I went for Chris and I was trying to stay away from talking about the football side of it all the time and Aye, Bovril's certainly been a good friend to ourselves at many of these games, especially in the winter. And you see the weather we've had outside recently. It's real disappointing that we can't get these games in the sun. So it's, it did bring back those bad memories of the cold again. And that's where Bovril's uh, jumped out for me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not Bovril. I know people that will have Bovril like, in any conditions. And it's it's not for me in this, this weather. I get, me a, get me a can of iron brew any day. Uh, but... Callum Campbell makes a kind of good sideways point there, which is the start of the season was white, like weather conditions wise as well. I know obviously Glasgow City only had one competitive game, but I know there's friendlies um, at the end up at a couple of them. And one of the things that we're talking about kind of links into the attendance point is obviously some of these some grounds don't have cover, some do, some provide Bovril, some don't. Um, do you think that plays a big part as well in terms of maybe bringing in more fans that the amenities that are available to to a club at the time? Yeah, I, th- I think I think it does, um, you know, and that's kind of part of one of my letters later on. Um, to uh, well, in a more simplified way, but yeah, I mean that that Celtic game at K Park on the Friday night that was up there. I mean, it wasn't quite so bad in the stand, but I mean, there's probably a couple of other games where I've been to which, you know, is is kind of media and stuff um, horrendous. I mean, taking out. Glasgow City winning against Motherwell in that, that horrendous pitch, um, not really through, uh, or certainly uh, unfortunate circumstances, but in terms of like weather, uh, a, a game last season I wasn't at, but I know other members of the media team were at, it was the game where Glasgow City played um, in Ricardo in the Cup, that was unsheltered, absolutely chucked it down Marine for the whole game, I remember a game at St Johnston that was like that as well, a Cup game um, and there was no cover, um, which wasn't great. But that, that Celtic game was pretty up there. But at least at the Celtic game, you've seen it at halftime, despite the weather, that people could go and, and get, you know, a cup of tea or a bovril or, or a pie or, or whatnot. Um, and, you know, at, uh, most of the top flight grounds, I think, well, I think I have to now, don't know the criteria, and most of them do that. Um, and one or two of the, the, the second tier grounds I've been to, in fact, probably there's quite a few nice little teams, you know, in the second tier, and well, not nice little teams, but teams in the second tier and teams in, um, you know, a couple of, Games I've been and um, you know we went to like Renfrew or somewhere like that. I've had a wee cafe open that's been great. So I think that does make a, a difference. I mean it is really inexpensive to go to you know these games which are plus, but you know if you've got you know a pie and you know a bottle for you know two fifty three quid or sometimes less than that you know you're, you're at a win there. You can go to a game of football, you know you know two or three of you and spend twenty twenty five quid max including your tickets, um, which I think has to be something that people should see as a positive. Yeah, absolutely. What, what about uh, B for you? Uh, Callum, what you got? Um, I do have something later on, maybe in a wider context, but I've kind of um, put Burn Your Thistle here, um, just a kind of little like thumbs up for um, some of the stuff they've been doing during the kind of COVID period. Um, they've been using this weekly newsletter, um, Thistle Together, it's got loads of different stuff in it, and and 
you know, detailed training routines and, and some good stuff for particularly the academy. Um, I know in the season it's something that will probably pop up later on when Mother Letters about kind of content and what clubs are doing, but uh, it was just more a little thumbs up to Burnham Youth uh, funny you say that, Carl, because I have also got Burnham Youth Thistle down. Um, as well as being the biggest standalone Scottish Women's Football Club, you're right that their content has been really good over this spell. You could you could kind of almost see the the community aspect of them kind of kind of coming out of their pores a little bit in that respect. Um, have either of you seen that the I'm a Burnham Burnham Youth Thistle player? Get me out of your videos. Yeah, yeah, they're good. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you seen them, Campbell? I haven't actually, Kev. No, I've kind of got the the club's media, so I need to go and have a wee look. Yeah, go have go have a look. There's there's been some effort put in there. It's that that kind of like good kind of that kind of quality where you know people put an effort in, and yeah, go have a look at that. But yeah, but if you're thistle, um, think for lots of reasons as well, and also because um, Susie's one of the people who is provides himself a lean the line over this break. We did a wee interview with her. It's up on the site, and I will be plugging stuff throughout this, no doubt. But uh, yeah. Uh, Burnley Thistle, good shout. Uh, C, okay, I'm going to start with C. I've gone with Claire Emsley. Um, the reason why I've gone for Claire Emsley is that she will forever go down in history as the first Scottish player to score at a World Cup. Um, won't pretend that result in the day like mattered because that was that was upsetting. But first ever score in the World Cup, Claire Emsley. Um, I think she's also probably fair to say one of the kind of faces of the current Scottish women's national team. But yeah, I've gone for Claire Emsley. Um, what have you gone for, Campbell? Yeah, um, so very on topic. I've went with coronavirus, um, which I think pretty much says it all. Really, how, how much havoc it's causing in the women's game, and just kind of interested to hear like the thoughts of you two on um, like how disappointed. Obviously, you're going to be disappointed, but just how disappointing is it that it's come now? And do you think it's better that it sort of happened now at the early stage of the season? Just kind of intrigued to see what your options are, almost for what you continue to do um, with the women's game after the virus. Um, well, again, uh, uh, there'll be a lot of cross matches. I've got kind of got something similar to this later on, and I've actually picked COVID nineteen or coronavirus as well, actually, in a different point. Um, but I think if it was going to come, it's probably the best time. Um, I mean, there'll be a lot of talk, and as maybe mentioned later on about how we restart or what do we restart or do we not restart um, or, or what. Um, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, we don't want this, but uh, we don't want this virus. Um, and the world is far more important at the moment. But, you know, in terms of what we're seeing in the men's game and, like, the hoo-ha about leagues finishing or even the SPFL and, and, and whatnot, at least it's quite simple in terms of, well, you've had, you know, group stage of League Cup, you play one round of games, it's quite easy to either restart it or, you know, null and void it. You know, it's quite good either way. Um so, in terms of if if you're going to have something like this, it's probably the best time of the season for it to happen rather than in October. Yeah, I mean, I think from speaking to, to uh, the players and, and some of the coaches about it, kind of either being on the podcast or off podcast, I think there's very much a kind of flexibility approach to it at the moment. I would say it is good in terms of how the season runs that has happened just now, um, obviously because when you look at the hot mess that is the SPFL at the moment. <laughs> um, but I also, there's a kind of little bit of me that's a little bit disappointed because obviously there was some good momentum at the start of this season. Um, you obviously had the Celtic Glasgow City game that was on Alba and had an nice dramatic finish. And then obviously the games that have been getting streamed on the BBC Sport, the Sport website. And Scotland were coming into the qualifiers at this, this stage as well. So they were coming up to some important games in the qualifiers, played Portugal, which would be really important. So yeah, I think in terms of the... Managing of the game, I think it's definitely come at round about the right time. Well, right time's the wrong word. The best best time we probably could have done, other than the season actually having started. I think the, the, the opinion seems to be people are pretty flexible about what happens next. Um, I suppose my question back to you, Cam, was what would you like to see happen next? It's a strange one, to be honest with you, Chris. I think, I mean, there's... You, yeah, you both point out that you look at the mess kind of the SPFLs in with the men's game and it's not been run well at all with the thing and I think the, 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 sort of the advantage that we've got in the women's game like Cam says there is the fact that we've only played a handful of games some of the cup games have still to be finished it could be the case of do you just scrap them and then 
run the women's season in line with the men's season if that comes back. Part of you would like to see that, but at the same time, with games on Sundays and things, a lot of times if there's other side, the main side are on, you get, don't get to see the game. We've complained about that before, so it's, it's a tough one, but I don't think I'd be against just going to, if they say, look, that's this season done, and we'll just restart it again for next year. I think it probably be the sensible option for the fact we've only played the one league game, and so it's it's not great, obviously, that we're not getting any support, but I think that would probably be the most sensible option. Yeah, I think from what I've understood of the situation is we just continue as normal. There is a situation where we, depending on when football comes back, you maybe have a shorter league season, so you play each other twice, for example, instead of three times, which I've always found a little bit weird, if I'm being honest. Um, and then you ditch the SWPL Cup and maybe even ditch the Scottish Cup and you just have like a, a short season. And then the other one, which I want to get your opinion on, Callum, is that I've seen some chat about going to a winter season, which for me sounds like a mad idea uh, in terms of what we've talked about already, in terms of growing attendances, in terms of the facilities available, and also in terms of just like putting yourself up to that competition throughout a whole season when actually it's really quite good going to the women's game in that kind of period where there's no men's football because the weather's usually a lot nicer. And you can kind of sit out in the sun, and even if you're not paying that much attention to it, you well, we usually are, but people turn up and not paying that much attention to it, they can still like go out and enjoy football without having to kind of make it a big rigmarole. What's, what's your thought on that as a potential option? I'm sort of conflicted because I do think the summer season is the best idea, and there's a lot of wider caveats to it because, and I know, and, and this is coming probably away from knowing obviously plenty of players and, and how they want, you know, players want a four or five week break. And I don't know if this might change the nature of, obviously there might be more and more teams obviously got, um, you know, Silicon Rangers going professional, Glasgow City, you know, are kind of, you could say professional without being official professional or certainly some paid players in there and, and what they're kind of um, in there. And other teams, you know, might well come along into a professional mould, certainly the top flight. Do they need like a four or five week summer break? And I think, I agree with you, it's quite good watching, you know, the football, you know, in, in June, um, if it's nice weather, you know, and, 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 and the, uh, the Forfar is a good place, and I've been there a couple of seasons ago, we played uh, Glasgow City, we're in a, in a league game, and then a cup game back-to-back at Forfar, two, weekend, two weekends in a row, the most beautiful weather on the seaside, it was fantastic. It was at Forfar uh, last season for the one game of the campaign, I think, um, earlier on, early on the season, Freezing cold, snow in the pitch, absolutely uh, windy and, and whatnot. Wasn't it quite so fun? Um, but you know, there's been some lovely days watching um, you know the, the football kind of June and, and August time. But it's kind of that's two months. Okay, it's quite a long time, you know, without men's game in the way. Well, then again, it's only really June because a bit of May and June because now in the men's game they're playing League Cup football in mid July um, and into August. So there is less window now of actually, you know, seeing the women's game without any men's game around. It's, it's mostly maybe four or five weeks before the summer. So um, it's tough because you kind of want the players to get the rest they need and, and whatnot. And, you know, certainly further down the pyramid you go, more players, you know, are taking holidays from their own jobs and having to sync that up. So, yeah, I, I think... It, the summer season is probably better, but I don't know if they can do it in a way where we're maybe shifting towards a March start and we have a slightly less break in the summer because it does feel like a brand new season for the first couple of weeks. Could players go away for two or three weeks and then have a, a couple of weeks, three weeks pre-season effectively again? Uh, whereas if you take you know, a two-week break, three-week break tops and then you're kind of back and you kind of finish that a little bit neater as well, potentially, or at the latest, maybe mid-November. Um, I can see why the winter might appeal, particularly if, say, we were back working and, you know, games we could get back playing in August, September time. With you know, the one thing with kind of not having huge crowds is we, if there was a certain situation where we could have a few hundred on the ground, then you could see, well, maybe give it a shot with it, or it could be an actual time to try the winter season. Um, but I don't know what the evidence is down in England because they've changed back to winter season. I mean, there's a lot made of their crowds um, since you know, the, the the Euros and the World Cups in recent years that they've been and, and done quite well. Um, but they still seem, they've had a bit of a boost, not like this gigantic boost, but they've had mm-hmm. a decent boost to their crowds. 
and they still seem to be getting a decent crowd as well, but maybe notably when they're playing games, all right, some tickets are free or, 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 or whatnot, um, they are getting bigger crowds and they move games to bigger stadiums in the international break, so maybe there is not as much of a rise in the women's game in England because they've moved it to you know, the, the winter calendar. So I don't know, I'd like to see the numbers in the women's game and their crowds, see how much it's affected or not affected moving. I think uh, I think the thing with the English game is a is kind of true and kind of false with the, with the figures because they do obviously these big mega games and yeah. that's maybe something we talk about down the way. But um, I think that actually when you look at some of the attendance, I remember seeing that Everton had an attendance of like four hundred and fifty something like that for a for a, a, an FAWSL game. They also had a spate of call-offs. Now we don't have that problem in Scotland because we all have a plastic pitch, and to be fair, yeah. that's the right thing to do for Scottish women's football in terms of that. There's only a couple of exceptions with that, obviously, but um, I, I think there's kind of figures around that are a bit of a misnomer. The reason why I want to bring that question up, because my, my letter D is a Damalsvenskan, which is obviously the Swedish uh, uh, women's football top flight, okay. uh, where Kaylin Meekie is currently playing. Uh, Fiona yes. Brown is obviously over there as well, uh, and Shannon Lynn in terms of uh, the national But Kaylin Meekie's moved over there from Hibs to, from Hibs to Patea, up in the north of the country. And uh, Campbell, she's been playing football. Um, there's always been a bit, a bit of a strong link between the Damalstenkin and uh, the Scottish Women's Premier League in terms of players going over. Do you? What's, what's your take in terms of? Well, I'll, I'll get you have your say in terms of the winter, winter, summer debate, and then I'll ask you for your letter D once you've done that. Um, I mean, obviously in Sweden it's gonna it's cold a lot of the time, and when it's winter there it really is winter up there and as you've seen even some of the games they've played you've seen on social media and things through Caelan it's been um, the weather hasn't been great I'm not really sure what attendances are like in Sweden compared even to their men's game I don't think they're I think they're they're not as high as they are in Scotland so it's it is a tough one I think the fact you're playing that winter football it doesn't even playing summer football in Sweden the weather's not as great so you kind of you can get away with it playing it in any real season I think whereas here in Scotland as you're saying if you play it in the winter people are simply going to go to the men's games ahead of the women's ones and it's so I can see why Sweden have it have their games going ahead so I wouldn't really say there's too much um, of a bother with them playing it in any season but for here if you have it in Scotland it has to be a summer season because you can get more folk to it and as Callum says you can sit there um, in nice weather to watch the games uh, in terms of my letter D I feel like I'm taking this on a right sort of unprofessional thing but I've ended up going bearing in mind I was drinking a beer when I put this I've put drinking for D <laughs> um, because I've been doing plenty with like United going up etc and obviously we've been doing we're going to be a podcast and that so yeah. I'm well, we'll try to stay in a professional sort of mood here we need to keep still need to laugh and also the hard times we've got there now so I just kind of have you two been drinking as well? <laughs> well I'll, I'm doing it just now as we talk but I think that I think there's a a point in that as well in terms of there's obviously a lot of conversation about drinking at football in Scotland um, because you can do it. So, for example, I went down to see Carlisle United, literally a hop, skip and a jump over the border and I was mad with it by halftime. Like, nice mad with it, not like rumbunctious, but nice mad with it by halftime. Um, women's football's obviously got it's got a couple of interesting things in terms of the way they approach sponsorship is there's no uh, gambling or alcohol, if I remember right as well, a sponsorship. But I'm just thinking outside the box, just on the, on the back of what Campbell has said, is women's football a good test area for being able to have a, a nice, calm pint at the game of football? Controversial, potentially, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that's... Unfortunately, um, people are just a bit silly with drinking some occasions. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big rugby man. You know, I cover rugby as well as so do football stuff and um, and other sports. And and you know, I go to, like I was covering um, the Scotland Trans game at Murrayfield a few weeks ago, and you know, you get sixty odd thousand that can have a drink, and you know, it, it's it's all right. You know, there's always going to be one or two that take it too far, um, but I agree to you, the football and, and sport thing, you know, um, in England as well, obviously football, they, they do allow it. Um, I can see the attraction of a sunny day, you know, um, at one of these grounds, 
you know, you have a you have a wee drink um, and watch the game. Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, as someone I'd like to think is a responsible um, alcoholic drinker and, and whatnot, you know, and if our time allows to wind back, then that'd be great, you know, if you're, you know, and somebody perhaps out with, uh, the, the, oh, I suppose there's some grounds, some parts in the SWP one grounds, it's almost like a, you can almost have like a, a kind of picnic or something, I don't know if I'm kind of yeah. going to feast, because I know, I mean, in, in rugby capacity, um, you know, I grew up, you know, in the borders and the rugby sevens are famous, you get Melrose sevens on the TV and, you used to go to a lot of the other rugby grounds put on the borders and they'd have their tournament and some of the old grounds didn't have stands but you had loads of people in their you know the grass bankings well i mean they still do the grass bankings and they you know, have their picnics and they have their beer and 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 whatnot or they have to get their beer from the bars these days and all to bring your own alcohol on the grounds and whatnot or in sporting places but um you know if, if sensible I wouldn't have a problem, but I guess there's all sorts of issues with having licenses, and you probably need bouncer because there's alcohol and and and, and you know police sold the alcohol, so there's probably a lot of red tape. And it's probably something that if it ever happened, there's probably far more important things, um, and for, you know, unfortunately, that are more pressing. No, I mean, I don't think it. I mean, it won't happen. As, as, no, it won't happen because we're not. And do you know what? I think it, I think it's. I, I really love the fact that Scottish women's football doesn't embrace gambling or alcohol sponsorship because it has got such a young um young audience um and i think it's i think it's maybe something that doesn't get it gets a little bit lost in translation when you speak to somebody about women's football in terms of yeah football the men's side has an audience but that always feels that little bit younger with the women's game and i think it's i think it's great they don't do it i was just merely throwing a throwing something out there as an idea because it is we always talk about out-the-box thinking when it comes to women's football. At least I always think about out-the-box thinking when it comes to women's football. Just one of the things that popped into my head. But what was your D um, for, for this one, Callum? Uh, Callum Callum and Campbell, two names of the very similar ilk. Yeah, um, I should add, uh, I'm just in the soft drinks. I'm on the sparkling mango and passion fruit flavoured spring water. Um, sounds more fancy than what it is. Um, <laughs> some of us are, are driving, having to drive tomorrow. So um, my D, I kind of kept it football. Um, and Dundee United and Danny McGee, it's like a kind of headline for newspaper. Um, Danny McGinley, um, great player at FWPL2 level. Seen a few years ago when St. John, well, Genefield Trift Sense in Johnston. Um, kind of you know, went for her. I think she's been lucky because for her the kind of last couple of years, um, last last season, they kind of fell away quite a bit, and it kind of, you know, t- the tactics changed, and you know, they nearly went down because of that, and she kind of didn't quite hit over her heart. But I think Dundee United looked like a team that, again, maybe not immediately, it could be a dark horse, but a team that could well um, feature um, as a side that we could see in the top flight in the coming years, and you know. They could run close with a player that can bang the goals. You know, she's been a top goal scorer at that level in the past. Yeah, Danny McGinley, I think she's a really good sign for Dundee United. Uh, whenever football comes back, I'm a bit bored of saying that, but when it does come back, uh, we really interested to see the impact that she has. Uh, let's move on to later. E Campbell, what have you got for E? I swear I do talk about football later on, guys, but for E, I've actually got Easter eggs. Um, I again, when I was sort of writing at this A to Z, I had an Easter egg at the time, and he was one of the last letters I did, and it was at that stage where you're frustrated and just you know, want the letter. So, he is Easter eggs. Um, <laughs> at least like again, the just, um, Come on, let's let's hear the connection. Well, I've seen obviously I've seen a lot of folk. Um, I'll get to it later about loads of challenges and things that a lot of the women's football players have been doing, and then. I was thinking, what can you, what could they have done with Easter eggs? And again, I say, it was at the end when I was kind of losing the plot with going through the alphabet. So, again, interested to see what your, your kind of thoughts would have been. Is there any sort of challenges they could have had with Easter eggs that could have been sort of football related again, like there has been with other ones that we'll get to later on? A music challenge where they get Smarties eggs, because Smarties eggs, you still get the Smarties inside it. And they have to play a song. I mean, Callum, what's <laughs> Callum? What's your take on the, <laughs> the Easter egg challenge? And then what's your what's your you as well? Um, no, no much to say in Easter egg challenge. I'm no a big um, Easter's cool, but I've done any Easter eggs. I've not done Easter egg chocolate and whatnot. I'm not a big chocolate. Uh, Easter egg chocolate's the best. It's there's something about the way it's like tempered into the mold. It's like got the right right Christmas. Uh, yeah, I like an Easter egg chocolate. 
Basically, nah, like, life hacks, it's, it's like advent candle chocolate. It's all moulded old chocolate. No, thank you. <laughs> all right, yeah. So what, you, so what have you got for your E then? <laughs> um, nothing too uh, out of the box. Um, I just put Aaron Cuthbert down. Um, there's probably there's a bit of a story behind it. Um, it was it was more. It was going to be a question, kind of, of your guys' first memory, maybe seeing Aaron Cuthbert on the pet trial in person on the telly, because I had uh, I've kind of seen um, a lot of Aaron Cuthbert, and I remember I was uh, I've been kind of covering the women's and girls' game. This is kind of my, what, seventh or eighth year. It was 2013 I started doing some volunteering work and I did the Youth Cup finals in 2013. And one of the finals, um, Rangers won, I think it was the under-15s, because at the time, in the following year, she made her debut for the Rangers' first team, um, at kind of 14, just before 15, I think it was then. And um, I, think, I think Rangers played Hibs in that final and... Um, she got a ball on the far side, um, you know, it's like my second or third ever football commentary. Um, and she just kind of wheeled past two or three players. It's probably on YouTube, wheeled past two or three players. Um, and kind of got in the box and just lashed it in. Um, and I was like, what a goal. And I mean, there'll be a few of the young players that's now seen the FWPL one and, and, you know, one or two that went further down south. Um, I'm like, it's great to have seen that journey over the last seven years from when they were like 14 um, or whatever they were. Um, but I just remember that goal thinking, wow. And then obviously she had a year or two in the first team at Rangers before joining Glasgow City and she done wonders there before going down south. So um, that was just a, a, an Erin Cuthbert story. And can I question you guys about what was your kind of first time seeing her um, sparkle on the pitch? I uh, also had Erin Cuthbert. So... To Aaron Cuthbert's an Easter egg. That's that's maybe the name of the pod. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I I I think it's interesting to say this, Callum, because I think for me, I have watched women's football for a long time, but I've probably only really properly taken in everything in the last two or three years. Yeah. Um, so for me, Aaron Cuthbert's always been somebody that has actually maybe I've only ever really properly noticed like the impact she's had kind of after she'd left Scotland. Um. But I, personally, the thing about Erin Cuthbert that I think is the appeal for everybody, and I'm talking about even people that aren't women's football fans, is she just has that kind of like, I'm really good at football, and uh, I am going to just be good at football, and I'm going to also make sure that I win as much as I can. And I think that's the thing that I think endears her so much to everybody. I use the word during the World Cup, uh, braggadocious. And I think, it's a, I think that's the way I always think about describing her as well. And I think you even saw this season at Chelsea where... She was obviously started the start of the season uh, still a little bit injured. Um, took a wee while to break into the team, but now she was she was kind of back in the team. And for her, it's probably a disappointment to obviously not get to finish the season that way. But I think I think seeing a wider context, um, I think I mentioned this when we were talking about the, the kind of 2019 review of the year. In a wider context, that goal she scored against Jamaica, we'd seen her do that before at different yeah. levels and against different teams. But I think that that goal she scored against Jamaica brought her and Scottish women's football into a wider context. You still see it everywhere. As people know, I do uh, I do some work from review from the terrace when there's actually football to talk about, um, and she's in she's in her titles because it's that, that kind of iconic moment. Yeah. Um, Campbell, what about you, Erin Cuthbert? Um, yeah, sort of saw kind of a bit towards the end of her Glasgow City career, and as you're saying there, you noticed even you knew right away. Obviously, she was a great player and has been doing yeah, the same down with Chelsea. But whenever I hear the name Erin Cuthbert, it always brings back bad memories. Unfortunately, um, of the World Cup, I was there that night in Paris where she made it three 0 to Scotland, and you were thinking that's great. Here we go, we're through. And then unfortunately, it was sort of the start of the downfall. We all know what happened. Um, with the remainder of that game and VAR controversy and everything, so it's unfortunately she brings back bad memories but seeing the goals you're scoring now for Chelsea as well down south it's always great to see the student just scoring goals down there in a tougher league and as you're saying as well there because obviously the goal she got against Jamaica we've all seen but I feel that almost kind of announced her as well to sort of wider stage obviously the biggest crowd at Hamden was on uh, Alba and Scotland fans could see it there and then again could see it in the World Cup so she's definitely one that's growing and growing all the time and it's one of the names that even people that as you say don't watch women's football frequently enough they would still know the name Erin Cuthbert if you mentioned it. Absolutely. So yeah, Erin Cuthbert's a good one for E. Uh, moving into F, uh, let's, I'll start with F because I think I've started fairly well. And I'm going for footballs. Mind that time that the SPFL donated 100 footballs and it was kind of billed as them building like a state-of-the-art training centre for, for women's football. Uh, I was saying they're just in the back of the World Cup when we were talking about it. Um, 
it was a nice gesture. But I mean, part of me, as I, as I wrote this down the other day, I've done this in like three parts because, as I'm sure you're both attested, trying to do this in a winner was pretty difficult. Um, but as I was writing this down the other day, part of me was wondering was, I wonder where all those footballs are now. Now, that's a very philosophical question. But maybe uh, a more poignant one in the back of that uh, column is, there's still this money kicking about for funding, and also there's been some people move about to kind of help allocate this. In terms of the money that's available to Scottish women's football just now, where where would you like to see it go, other than tracking down footballs, because obviously that's very important now? Um, it's tough because it's tough because um, it's like where where can do you start with with that? It's like well, the clubs, you know, great if you could fund clubs, you know, like you know the the English FA kind of do that and there's a funding model in place there um i guess something that has a i know, I know there's prize money in the league but i don't know how much it is in terms of it's it's, it's changing lives really um it's easy to say grassroots and i think that that's um a worthwhile area you know or, or certain platforms there's a lot of clubs with great academies now or certainly growing academies um so probably, you know, the youth game is probably paramount for, you know, our future success because, you know, we've got a, a really good Scotland team and there's a lot of young players that are making it into first team um, now. Um, and there will be a few that will move on over the next few years. Um, as much as you mentioned earlier that, you know, someone mentioned earlier about, you know, good that Erin Cuthbert went down south and whatnot. Um, something needs to be, some, I don't know how or how you implement it, but some sort of funding somewhere in there that helps our league um, get stronger and perhaps keeps younger players um, and you know not necessarily just go perhaps going to the welfare clubs in the league either a system there that can help you know teams that you know get better in the top flight and beyond and that funnels players to stay in this division while you know hopefully one day we'll come to a status where you know there's more teams that are, that are pro um I don't know, it doesn't really probably answer the question fully, but it's like probably something that can help the chain of progressing our domestic game. Because as good as some players are, and it's good to see some players down south and, and, and abroad and do well, something that can help the pathway to a stronger league here, probably. Um, I like that sentiment, Callum. What about yourself, Campbell? And then give us, give us your uh, F once you've done that. Yeah, I mean, it's, obviously, as I just saying, it's kind of a nice gesture almost. But you almost, you almost want them to have sort of more of more of something coming in, like it's off the World Cup. There's some footballs. It was as if it was just a kind of a backhanded thing. There was never really too much to it. And obviously, again, you're saying you can't take over really much of it. SWF, as we know as well, are kind of they're all volunt- voluntary positions. Do you really want um, women's football coming under sort of the SFES, PFL? Probably not. So it's 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 always going to be a tough one about how you grow it. The fact now we're stopped doesn't help anything, but it's one you could debate about for hours. And I think you've both pretty much said that there as well that you don't want to be, you don't want it to get lost in amongst the main thing. So it's good that we've got the game as it is. And yes, obviously there is the chance to grow it, but working out just how is never going to be um, the easiest. I don't think. Um, for my effort. Hang on, before we get to your F, because I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you on your points here about. It's good that it's from SPFL. Now, um, I'm kind of 50-50 on this at the moment, but one of the things I was thinking about is if it's with the SPFL, let's put aside the bureaucracy and self-interest that exists for all football clubs, and I'm sure if it's something similar in the women's game, we'd probably see something similar. Um, do you not think, though, that having an, a, an SPFL with a team of people that have got a league and have got the... When we've talked about the fact there's volunteers, the funding and the kind of backing the people in it, do you not think that might be a little bit helpful? I feel it would still just get put to the back, uh, on the back seat. Sorry, Chris. Um, they just seem the SPFL and kind of around the men's side just seem so incapable of organising anything. There's obviously seen a lot of that recently as well, and I don't think there would be enough focus then put on the women's game. The fact the SWF, the yes, they're a small sort of organisation. There's a, a small group there. They're always doing their best to sort of grow the women's game. So it's the fact you've got that focus, I think, helps. Because even as you're saying, yes, there's people that have done it from the men's side. If you put them into it, how long are they going to be interested? And a lot of the time, it's, uh, they're not making 
money or whatever else and other things that are working against them, then suddenly it's kind of it does get put in that back seat. And before you know, before you know you're back to square one again. So it's I can see your point, but at the same time, it just it's so, there's always that risk that it would then sort of just disappear into oblivion. No, I mean part of the reason why I asked that question was because I had a funny feeling you would articulate one of my concerns, which is that that yes, is this going to be shared resource and actually that could be beneficial. Um, but I would be concerned that it would, in terms of a commerciality, and you can see that pouring out of everything just now in terms of what we're going to do about money. I'd be concerned if that was a, an absorption of that happened. What would what would protect the identity and ensure that the, the work that's getting done in SWF just now continues? But it's maybe one that we just have to play as it play it by years. It comes obviously at the moment we're in a time where nothing's really happening. Um, but I think it's definitely a valuing a standalone SWF as much as it is getting some support from SPFL. Maybe it's a, a merger of those two, but I'll give you an F now, uh, Campbell, sorry to, to jump in, but I just wanted to ask that. Um, for F, I went with fitness, as obviously when you play, when your footballers are not playing football, keeping up your fitness is obviously it's, it's going to be a tougher, but it's been good to see obviously a lot on social media. There's been a lot of, sort of new ideas we've seen kind of group sessions and things that they're doing over like Zoom and things like that, where there, there's new ideas. I've seen sort of homemade things that players are doing as well and get out and run and things. So it was, I think it is still good to see that you can keep up your fitness despite the fact they're not playing football. So it's just a pretty positive note, really, that despite the fact these players can't go out and train, they can't see each other, they can't play with each other kind of thing, they're still out there keeping themselves fit. So hopefully, if and when the game then comes back, you're looking at players that are in fit from all these new ideas that can then be sort of used to sort of again improve um, the game when we get back Yeah I nearly went for an illustrative uh, 15 minute 5k's and decided not to because I didn't want to throw shade on anybody um, Callum what was your F? Um, well I've not done any fitness since 2007 I think um, since my rugby playing days at school um, my F is football manager um, I'm sure yeah I don't know if you both play um, I, I've had a bit of a love hate relationship with football manager for forever basically because I got bored often um, just kind of watching 1D 2D images kind of roaming around the pitch and doing these tactics and whatnot um, I would prefer FIFA career mode and, and playing the games and whatnot um, got a bit bored of that and, and whatnot um, so during the three month or whatever I had the football manager or whatever it was two weeks um, I downloaded the women's football career uh, or database and um, I've had some great fun on that. Um, so I guess the question is, um, do you guys uh, do a bit of football manager and are you using the, the women's football uh, databases on there? Cause pretty good, pretty up to date and whatnot. I am a little bit older than you and it got too complicated for me about six, seven years ago. I liked it when you could just sign players, tell them they were good or bad tell the press to do one and play games. And you could have a squad like 50 people did that. It seems like there's a lot of micromanaging in it now for my liking, yeah. um, which I, A, can't really be bothered with and B, don't have the time for. Um, I like the mobile one. I, I have dabbled in the mobile one every now and again. What about you, Campbell? Yeah, clearly you would also be the best manager then, Chris, wouldn't you? Um, it's, <laughs> it's one of these ones that... Like Callum, I was always a FIFA person as well, and I've, I've got the pair of them now. Managed to get about 40 quid off FIFA as well, if anyone cares, so that was good. But um, <laughs> I, for a football manager, a lot of pals and things play it, so hearing things like, I look, I'll go and have a look. I play it now and there, it's not something I'm on often, but I haven't actually downloaded the women's one, Callum, that might be an interesting one to go and look at. I'm currently with Velez Sarsfield in Argentina, don't ask, but um, I it's going quite well through there, and what is... Talk about obviously a lot of the league setups and things here, and having playing that, that really opens your eyes to just the Argentine football system is just something real crazy. And um, it's with like, we moan about the split and things you have over here, just think it's so lucky you're not Argentine. Uh, yeah, the Clausura, Apertura, the three season carryover. Yeah, this is not an Argentinian football podcast, so we won't go down that. Uh, but yeah, let's move on to G. Um, Interesting to see what we've all got for G. Campbell, what have you got for G? Yeah, I went with Global. Uh, to do with a lot, in fact, we've got a lot of international players have been coming, obviously, at the SWPL. We saw a few of them prior to the um, to the pandemic coming in. and So it's been good that we've, you can see that the SWPL is growing. Obviously, yes, we want to improve the Scottish players and just saying 
the high level there. Then playing at Carlos mentioned the likes of Cooper, obviously going down south. But it's good to see as well that foreign players are coming across Scotland and they know that the league is of a good quality and it's only going to improve them and hopefully improve the league as well. Just disappointing that we can't get to see um, more of them playing just now. But uh, I just kind of interested in your opinions on sort of the influx of them. And um, I know, Callum, you've obviously seen Glasgow City have had some Australians and Irish things coming in. Do you think that's going to sort of help to improve the Scottish players as well that are currently um, at City? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's very tough because, um, you know, it, the landscape's obviously changed with uh, Rangers Celtic, you know, putting money in. But I think, and this is where maybe we'll make the finance thing. I mean, there's not a lot of good players, you know, there is good players out with, you know, the top three, four clubs as it could well be this year. Um, but the... What's happened is from when I started covering the game, you know, 2013 was my first season. Um, I look at teams like Spartans, who, you know, had a good blend of younger players, which they still have a lot of good younger players, but they had, you know, now it's basically Rachel Harrison and Alan Marshall's kind of, they're two experienced players, whereas before you had like Kerry Montgomery and the team, you know, there's a team that was getting to cup finals all the time, usually in Glasgow City, um, but they were in a lot of cup finals around that, that period. So they, they had a further spine of, of kind of experienced players that kind of left or retired or whatnot. And there's one or two other teams like that. Um, so, I mean, Rangers certainly have picked up players within Scotland, um, but, you know, they've had to go further afield. I guess Glasgow City the same. They've kind of, you know, the clubs will bring through players and, you know, some will make it to the first team. But I guess now it's kind of that way where we're probably in this little bottleneck of waiting for maybe young players to come through. And um, there'll be some players, I think, and obviously other teams have probably benefited from, um, you know, Rangers, Celtic, Glasgow City, maybe a bit of Hibs as well, where players have maybe left those clubs and have filtered down into your, your mother wells and, and what have you. And that will make kind of those kind of tier of players, you know, and, and move to us that tier of teams and maybe will improve that and bring them up um, in some respects. But we're, we're kind of probably at this area where, kind of like what I guess other countries are doing. I don't think it will be in the same kind of grand scheme, but probably bringing these players abroad that are of quality and obviously some 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 of the, maybe the Spaniards, you know, that have came in uh, Celtic and, and like, you maybe have seen a bit of them if you've watched any Champions League or, or whatnot or any of their league because they stream a lot of stuff online, but um, if they're obviously good enough, I think it will add to quality, add something a bit different. It's a different element of the game. We have seen in the past some, you know, international players that have came Varying success, um, you know, certainly from Glasgow City with a few um, in the past. Um, you know, Glasgow City had a lot of success from Ireland um, in, in recent years. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Um, hopefully, if it adds the quality, then and it doesn't, you know, shun out, you know, 10, 11, you know, players, particularly young players that could potentially make a, a Scotland grade that one day, then, you know, I'm all for it. And hopefully, um, when we get football, we'll, we'll see um, some different qualities of, of nationalities. Yeah, I agree. As long as you're seeing the, the quality coming through, I think that's the important thing. It's a case of not getting somebody foreign because it sounds cool. Um, it's making sure that the players are quality. What's your What's your G, Cam? Um, my G is grounds, I've just put, and basically a question of favourite ground in the SWPL. Um, I kind of mentioned, I mean, there's for myself, I'm, I'm not going to be biased. Um, Peter's Hill's good. Ainsley Park's good as well. Good setup, particularly when they do the SWFL Cup finals and stuff. Um, probably the best pie in the top flight for me. Um, you know, I, I loved um, St Johnston when I've been there. You know, they don't understand because, but you know, they've been really accommodating. You know, when Glasgow City's been there, like, oh, you know, we've got a weak scaffold and we'll get set up for you. No bother for filming quality. You know, they've been great. Um, I really enjoyed though the the ground I really enjoyed was and I mentioned it earlier was Renfrew, um really nice ground obviously it's a junior ground so um the, the men's team would play there yeah. but um nice little setup nice stand um good pitch uh, artificial but you know it was a good uh, looked around the new pitch a little hut in the corner um and just to, you know there, there's plenty of good grounds in the SWPL one and two but I just wanted to give them a mention when I went there kind of the back end of 2018 when they got their good run in the Scottish Cup. What about you yeah. guys? Well, so funny you mentioned, so one of the things about Renfrew, we sidebar this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Shakhtar, I'm pretty sure it was Shakhtar Karagandhi, who played Celtic in the Champions League, I think twice in a row. I think they trained there. There was a, like a Kazakhstani or Uzbeki team that trained at New Western Park. And if you're ever there on a match day, which I have been for junior football, um, there's a pen in the in the social club. So have a look out for that. Um, in, terms of, in terms of venue... I 
don't really know. I think I, I think I like Orion, and I, I'm not entirely sure why because lots about lots about it doesn't make any sense. Like the if you need something to drink or eat, it's a mile away. But I think the setup there is quite good. I always feel like maybe just I always feel like whenever I'm at Orion, it feels pretty pretty comfortable. Um, Ainsley Park's got a good setup as well, as you mentioned. I think Pearsall Park has been improved exponentially by the removal of that bloody net. Yeah. Um, I think that's it's, probably fair to say. It's no great for filming that net and, and, and commentating. I'm glad it's not there. It's particularly for European games. Oh, it's been doing my head in for about eight years. I'm so <laughs> glad it's gone. <laughs> I don't... I mean, New Douglas Park's probably the one that pops out in my head because you have... In terms of covering the game, you get Wi-Fi, which is a pretty rare commodity in women's football. Um, you get a good view, you get good access, they've got a wee pie hut, you've got cover. If it's windy, you can sit far enough back so it doesn't get wet. If it's raining, yeah, I'd probably say New Douglas Park probably edges it for me at the moment, uh, but you Campbell. I mean, obviously, New Douglas Park and Rugby Park, where Aki's and Kelly's on the main side using it as well, they're playing in these sort of proper stadiums, so they're always ones that stand out to you. But I quite like, um, I know it's obviously just a training ground, but the Hummel Training Centre where Rangers are playing, or Murray Park, Hawking Howie, whatever you want to call it. Um, as you mentioned, they're sort of Wi-Fi, Aki's and things, and the setup in that. Murray Park's always one you feel really confident, confident, sorry, comfortable. And when you're going to, you know that you're going to get in, and it's, it's a comfy seat once you're under. Thankfully, I've got that stand-up now. It's on a good grass pitch there as well, which makes a change from playing on Astro all the time. And as you're saying there, for us as media folk, it's always handy. They're always very helpful at Rangers there as well. So I'd, I'd probably go with the Hummel, I think, edging, I say, the likes of Rugby Park and um, Super Seal or the Foys or whatever the hell Hamilton are calling <laughs> that ground now. We'll go with Douglas Park. We'll just stick with that. New Douglas Park's fine, but um, no, it'd have to be Murray Park, I think. I will say what my least favourite is. Um, because I say this all the time when people talk to me, and this includes non-league games, junior games, K-Park. I just... It's, I, they've got seats, but they're not seats. You should be standing on those as far as I'm concerned. They're not, it's, same as Raven, Craig. Yeah, the oh, exact same seats as there, and it's just... At least in there you get a bit of shelter. If it's, it's warmer, obviously, than being stuck yeah. outside, but I know K-Park's dreadful as well. But then Ra- Raven's Craig has this amazing habit of, even when it's sunny outside, still being about minus 10 inside. Um, which I've experienced in more than one occasion. But yeah, I think in general, I think for me, as long as I can have somewhere to lean. So you mentioned St. Johnson. You don't really have anywhere to kind of perch yourself, do you, St. Johnson? I can't really remember. That's a while since it's been up. But I think as long as you've got somewhere that you can kind of comfortably watch the game, I think that's my main thing. If you, I think this is why K-Park, if you're standing, it's fine. But if you're at a busy game and you've got to sit, it's not that great. Um same thing with Ravenscraig, as you say, Ravenscraig. I actually don't sit at the seats at Ravenscraig. I go and stand on the the terrace above the one of the ends, just because you get a decent view and it's a lot more comfortable in terms of watching the game. Um, I had Glasgow City because I thought we couldn't really talk about the AZ of Scottish women's football without mentioning Glasgow City. I didn't know if Callum was going to see it because he was conscious that if he said Glasgow City, he'd get accused of bias. So I thought I'd fire that in there. But yeah, um, if you haven't seen the documentary yet, it is available in the iPlayer. I was just checking that there. It's up there until 18 days from today, which is whatever day today is. Today is the 23rd of April. So from 18 days from the 23rd of April, it's still up in the iPlayer. Go watch it. It's really enjoyable. Um, don't get put off. It's on BBC Alba and it's in Gaelic because Callum, as you'll probably attest to, not that much of it was in Gaelic, but it was a, a really good insight into the club. Yeah, no, it was absolutely a fantastic documentary. And you know, even I still, I, I, you know, I know quite a bit about the club now, um, you know, and um, no, it was it was uh, some of the stuff there was still new to me, and obviously uh, some you know highs in there, obviously a few lows as well um, of the history. But um, no, it was it was fantastically made, and you know Beeps have tend to make you know the documentaries are excellent. Um, one of our media team at Glasgow City, Mark Harvey, was part of the production team as well. Um, so it was quite nice that someone of the media team was involved in the production, and that kind of helped with that a little bit of some of the info and archives. So, um, no, it was absolutely fantastic. So what, what, whether you love the game or, you know, just football or sport or just a nice story and empowering story, it's um, it's worth watching. So we've just had an hour there that got us to G. It does quicken up a little bit. Not much, I have to say. But that brings us to the end of part one. So thank you very much for listening. Please remember, go subscribe, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, uh, visit leadingtheline.com, give us five stars, follow Leading the Line on Twitter, 
Thank you very much for listening and we'll be back again really soon. Cheers. <laughs>